OTB GAA. You don't just have a speech the Wednesday before a game. You go out and you rile up your team and go out and play the match with fire and brimstone. Now you analyse teams to death. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. I'm delighted to say Jonathan Wilson is with us. Jonathan, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Um, we're trying to make sense of what happened with Manchester City last night. Uh, are they now the automatic favourites for this competition, given that they've un- unleashed in Europe exactly what they wanted to do? Or is this just a result and the next round will be totally different? Um, uh, I'm going to give you the cowardly answer and say both. I, th- I think they're already probably the favourites. I, th- I think Napoli are the team playing the best football in Europe, but Napoli have never been to the quarterfinals of either the European Cup or the Champions League, so it's completely new territory for them. Um, City, I think, in, in a season when a lot of top clubs have, maybe because of the World Cup, maybe for other reasons, have, have struggled, I think City were the favourites anyway. Um, the ease with which they dispatched Leipzig in the end, uh, you know, I, I think... You know, it's usually their credit and obviously bolsters those credentials. However, we have seen them win games very comfortably before, uh, and then they they they, they slip up. And I, I think yeah, my feeling with last night's game, I suspect, is is different to a lot of people's, which is that yes, we Holland's goal scoring was was amazing. Um, the De Bruyne I thought was excellent. John Stones I thought had a great game at right back, moving the midfield. And actually, to be honest, the Holland issue, you know, we knew who's a brilliant goal scorer. I'm not sure it taught us that much more. Um, De Bruyne returning to form, I think, is is more significant. Stone's been able to play that sort of took the in fullback role, I think is potentially more significant. But actually, for me, the most important thing is that of the five Holland goals, four of them came from corners. And City are not a team you would previously... I mean, OK, one of them a penalty following a corner, but... Yeah, four corners essentially leading to goals. City are not a team you previously would have thought of as being strong from set pieces. So if they have that extra, you know, that extra arrow in their quiver, then that's a very, very positive thing for them in in tighter games going forward. One of the points I was making earlier on in the programme was that he also just picked the obvious team, which has not always been the hallmark of Pep Guardiola in the Champions League. Yeah, the, the obvious team, and yet he was still able to leave out Foden and Mahrez, which tells you how great their squad is. Uh, and I think one of the problems City have, like problems, you know, it's not a problem, but one, one of the features of City is their squad is so good that there is not really an obvious team. This, this was one of multiple obvious teams. Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't tricksy. It wasn't over clever. Um, but even then, you know, we, we say that, and, you, and, you, and you're right. You didn't look at that team and think, oh, Christ, what's he done here? Mm-hmm. You, but it was four centre backs across the back. I mean, okay, John Stones is not a Tony Pulis style centre back, um, but that, that's that's interesting. That, that this a coach who sort of three or four years ago you just said his ideal team would have been yeah ten fullbacks and a goalkeeper. Um, suddenly picking a team with no fullbacks uh, that you know he's he's redefined the role of a fullback so to such an extent that yeah they're no longer fullbacks. Um, so yeah, we are continually seeing that 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 evolution. Sorry, that's an excellent point. I guess I meant that he picked uh, Gundogan and Rodri, and um, a front 
three well uh, so he managed to fit De Bruyne and Silva and Haaland and Grealish in the team and it looks like that shape was perfect but to go back to the four four centre-backs um, is this going to be them for the rest of the season do you think or what, what what's behind that was it a, a I don't know. The, is he is he disciplining Kyle Walker at the moment for uh, his off-field activities, or is there it just uh, he thought that, that was the right thing to do against Leipzig? Um, well, I, I think Walker's form has not been great since the World Cup, so I, I think it's probably a combination of you know he's not playing particularly well, plus the the off-field stuff. You know, left backs. He's got Gomez, but very inexperienced, and he doesn't actually have any left backs because he's you know he sold them all. He sold Zinchenko and then. So Jack and Sello for, for whatever reason in January. So to, to an extent, maybe this has been forced upon him. But you know, I, I thought the way Stones played that role, you know, he obviously doesn't have a pace of Walker. He doesn't get forward quite in the same Walker do, quite in the same way that Walker does. But I think one of the things Guardiola really wants, one of the reasons he needs his fullbacks to, or a fullback to tuck into midfield and, and, and be become a, a holding holding midfielder when in possession is he's paranoid about getting caught on the break. And whenever things go wrong for City, it's because they've got caught on the break or because of overcomplicated things by trying not to be caught on the break. If Stones can fulfil that holding midfield slash fullback role, then then that, I think, helps helps counter that fear. Um, the, 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 one, the one thing I would say about, about last night's game, look, I mean, 7-0, you can't, can't pick holes in it, really. But they did get three big refereeing decisions went their way which set the tone for the game, and then Leipzig sort of fell apart. So I don't think that's nothing, not, by the way, because they were like so. Everybody's like, "Oh, it was an overwhelming uh, body of evidence to suggest they were going to win the game." There was, but in all the games that they've lost, they've missed a load of chances early on, mm. and something has kind of inside them gone, "Oh, this isn't going to be our night." A, a constriction around the throat, and all of a sudden, we're like, "Oh, Pep overthought it again." Yeah, and even the first game in Leipzig, um, you know, very very comfortable first half. Yeah, if you had a criticism in that first half, it was they weren't ruthless enough. They you know, they had Leipzig rattled and they didn't really sort of go for it. In, in the same way I criticised Bayern in the first half, in the first leg against PSG, that I, I think a really, really, really good team recognises when the opponents have lost it and, and kills them off for two or three goals then. And, and City didn't do that and Leipzig were much better second half. Um yeah, I mean, I don't want to make too much of refereeing decisions because I think Henriks was incredibly unfortunate with that handball. But having said that, he got away with a blatant handball in injury time in the first leg. Um, the the way Holland clipped the keeper as, as he closed him down in the build of the second goal, I'm not sure that is a foul. But it is something you do see getting given as a foul sometimes. So, again, I don't want to say that it's a it's a horrendous decision, but it's a big decision that went their way that might not have done. I, I actually think the one that, that they really got away with was, was Edison. Yeah. Um, uh, who was it? He cleared. Uh But I mean, that was a, I mean, keepers do get away with that kind of thing, but that was a, that was a bad, a bad challenge. Um, and whether, whether he brushed the ball or not, he's absolutely clattered through the man. And yeah, you, know, you think back uh, the Liverpool city game where the, the, there was a, you know, I mean, we're talking, what, four years ago now, the, the 5-0, when a very similar incident, essentially a, a collision, two players running together, and, and um, it was Mane got sent off in that, that situation, wasn't it? But, you know, I, I, I think there's a recklessness to that challenge that, that could easily have been a red card on another night. 
So look, once they once they got ahead, once Leipzig started to wobble, City were absolutely brilliant, absolutely ruthless. And as I say, I think the set plays issue is a big thing. I think Stones issue is a big thing. But I'm not sure it was the overwhelming 7-0 that, that, that it's been portrayed by some people this morning. At Arizona State University, we offer a wide variety of degree programs online to match all kinds of interests and career aspirations. Programs that are taught by the same notable faculty who teach on campus and designed using innovative technology to improve learning outcomes and equip you for post-graduation success. That's why 87% of ASU online graduates indicated they were promoted at work or received an increase in salary after earning their degree. Find your program at asuonline.asu.edu. Jonathan, there seems to be almost an element of smugness about Pep Guardiola in his, in his post-match, talking about the, the decisions he's had to make, whether it's Foden or, or leaving out Mares, as you say, and these decisions coming up coming up trumps. Um, like he even referenced Bernardo Silva on the left as well. But certainly these calls he's making are working at the moment and even you know leaving De Bruyne out for a game and, and then him coming back in last night and having, having a game like he did and the impact on the game that he did clearly some of these decisions right now are working yeah and, and look, I don't I don't mind a manager saying I got it right now, they get enough criticism when they get it wrong so I, I, I'd far rather they, they sound slightly smug and explaining what they did mm-hmm. than refuse to talk about it so I don't I don't really begrudge anybody that yeah, he, he got it right. I think it, the treatment of De Bruyne is, is really interesting. That uh, you have a specific criticism he made that yes, he's creating chances, but he's not holding the ball well enough. I think that is still. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about his paranoia about getting done on the break. And I think this issue of control is still the big issue for City because for for all that now that you know the talk this morning is oh Holland, how can you possibly say he's made them worse? Well, I don't think it's a question of making them worse, but it's a question of making them different. So if you extrapolate from the 26 games they played in the league this season and assume they'll go on the same rate, they would score 94 goals. Well, last season they scored 99. So they added a great goal scorer and they're on course to score five goals fewer. Even more worrying than that, I mean, much more worrying than that, last season they conceded 26 goals. This season they're on course to concede 35 so they have become more open. And I think that's an understandable consequence of having a player like Holland who needs the ball earlier. If you're playing the ball earlier, you're necessarily playing more risky passes. You're not set to 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 deal with a counter should that ball be lost. And so I, I think it's interesting that that's the criticism that Guardiola is making. That he's saying, yeah, De Bruyne is still making these passes. He is still creating the chances. But the consequence of the speed with which he's playing those passes is that it leaves City a bit more open. He is giving the ball away a bit more. I think getting that balance right, the the risk-reward element of it, I think that is still the issue that, that City haven't necessarily quite worked out yet, and it's something they're going through. And I think it's why we've seen some of their recent league games have been pretty stodgy. I mean, that game at Palace at the weekend, where, I mean, look, they were comfortably the better side, fully deserved the win, but it was a real grinding 1-0 from a game that in the past you might have expected them to win maybe 3 or 4-0. And I think they are still just just trying to work out how do you accommodate Holland, how do you get the ball forward to him as quickly as he needs it, while still retaining the the capacity to deal with a potential counter-attack. I'm not for a minute suggesting Man City aren't capable of, of challenging on a number of fronts, but when you look at the fact that they have you know the FA Cup still to play, the Champions League being an, an obsession for Pep Guardiola at this stage to win it with City, whereas Arsenal have, yeah, the Europa League, of course they want to win it, and a bit of silverware would be nice, but the Premier League is going to be their sole major focus, you'd imagine, between, between now and the end of the season. Are, are Arsenal at an advantage compared to Man City, do you feel, Jonathan, in terms of challenging on a, on a number of fronts? 
Um, I mean, I think the advantage they might have is they get to play in the league this weekend. And if they win that, they're eight points clear. And okay, they've played a game more. But what that means is, um, you can see, obviously, have the FA Cup game against Burnley this weekend. What that means is that City know they can't slip up. And I, I, it's one of those things that shouldn't make a difference. But I think you, you talk to players and they always sort of say, I mean, partly they say, oh, we're just focusing on ourselves. But yeah, they, they also sort of let on that, you know, we, it's easier to play at the same time as the opponent because you're not, you're not sort of aware that, right, there's no space for slipping up here. It's, I think it's easier to focus on your own game when you don't know what the opponent's done. So for Arsenal to get that eight point lead, in the same way that when Arsenal were only two points clear, even though they had a game in hand, that didn't feel anywhere near as secure as five points. Well, eight points having played a game more feels a lot more secure than, than, than five points having played the same number. So if Arsenal win this weekend, I think that does add to their advantage. Yeah. The, the point you make about um, City still trying to, to work out exactly how to get the balance right between their risk of uh, being more open and the goals that might come if they manage to unlock this. It's really interesting to watch that unfold in, in real time because we are watching one of the world's great managers wrestle with the fact that he has this shiny new toy that he knows is really, really important if he can just make it work. Um, and that's the challenge for him for the rest of the season. If, if he gets that right, then there's a good chance that they reach a Champions League final and, and what happens on the night happens on the night. But um, I guess that's the, the big imponderable that we're going to be watching for every game to see has he tweaked it? Is he getting is he getting the balance more in favour of uh, being able to hit last season's goal tally without conceding more? Are we watching? Are we watching a great experiment unfold before our eyes? Yeah, I think. I mean, experiment maybe it's not not quite the right word because that makes it sound a lot riskier than it is. But we are we are seeing a manager working through a, a problem. You know, a great manager, you're one of the greatest thinkers about football has ever been, working through an issue, and it, it's fascinating to see. And you can sort of it's, you know, it's a, it's a real privilege to see it in real time, but right from the community shield, you could see, you know, it was very obvious that game, but they're not getting the ball forward enough quick, quickly enough. And then the, well, they, I think it was, was it West Ham they played the, the first week of the Premier League season? And Holland did get the two goals and he did seem to be going forward a bit quicker. But then we've seen that's left them open and the opponents have started to work that out. So you have to counter that. And we're still in that process of flux. And I, I think it's really interesting to see a manager like Guardiola sort of really wrestling with his principles. His principles are not to play those long balls, not to play those long passes. And yet he's being forced to do it. And you know, for early on, with the score was still nil-nil when it happened. So I think it was probably eight, ten minutes in yesterday. Uh, and it was Nathan Ake played a, a pass, 60, 70-yard pass over the top. And Haaland ran onto it and, and got a toe to it. And the, the keeper made quite a good save. And that's not the sort of chance that City would have been creating the previous five years that Guardiola's been there. So they have changed. And it, it, I guess it is a case of having this new weapon, a weapon that can really hurt opponents, um, that, that makes it really complicated for opponents. Because if you sit deep, he'll he'll win headers against you. If you push up, you'll hit the space behind you. Um, but at the same time, it slightly disrupts the patterns and the, 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 the passing flow and the domination of the possession which has been City's characteristic, which has been Guardiola's characteristic right since he became a manager in 2008. And, and balancing those two things off. And and I think if Guardiola is such an ideological manager, and I, I think that's natural for somebody who came through at Barcelona, you've seen Xavi talking in much the same way, that he has this idea, his 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 strictures of football, his rules of football, uh, it, it, it's sort of a, a quasi-religion that, that 
you, you cannot be heretical from this. This is the one one true way of playing. And then he gets his other way of playing and he's somehow having to adapt those principles. And there must be part of him that thinks, oh, you know, just just whack it. If we're, if we're struggling a bit, whack it over the top, whack it yeah. over the top. It doesn't have to be a good ball. You think of the goal they scored. Was it the third goal they scored against Villa when yeah, Callum Chambers and very little pressure just heads the ball to nowhere and creates a chance just because a ball was within 20 yards of Holland. You can do that. And yet Guardiola, all his footballing principles are telling him not to do that. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to watch him working that through and trying to, to, to communicate that idea, his understanding of that to his team. And De Bruyne is the most important player in that because he is the brains of the side. You know, in a very intelligent side, he is the brains of it. And Guardiola clearly feels that, that, De Bruyne's interpretation of that has slightly deviated from what he would like. And De Bruyne at the same time, I think, has had a, a bit of a post-World Cup blip. Yeah, anybody who saw him at the World Cup saw how frustrated he was with the way Belgium played. You know, that that, that interview he gave after, was after the Canada game when he got man of the match and was incredibly grumpy about being made man of the match. Say, oh, I didn't deserve it. I was rubbish today. We were all rubbish. And he, I think he's come back with a bit of a sulk still on. And Guardiola's having to work through those um, issues of character and temperament uh, as as well. And that, I think, is not something Guardiola finds easy. I don't think he's the world's most natural man-manager. Uh, Jonathan, I, like many other football fans, like to pride myself every four years in watching as many World Cup matches as I possibly can, uh, sitting down and, and soaking it all in. 2026, they're not making it easy, are they? I mean, what is it, 104 matches? 12, or four groups of, or 12 groups of four teams. So, I mean... The amount of football in 2026 is, is just going to be ridiculous. What, what are your thoughts on this extended tournament? Oh, it's just just gloom. Um, I mean, a, a 39-day tournament, I think, is what they're talking about. It's a long, long time. I mean, look, I'm talking about this entirely selfishly to start with. As a journalist, a World Cup, and you have to go for a couple of days beforehand and you, you leave sort of a day or two afterwards. So the World Cup was already five weeks. Now it's going to be six weeks, maybe slightly more. That's an incredibly grueling thing. You work every day. You work 16, 18 hours a day. It destroys you. Um, and you saw this World Cup, a lot of, I'm, I'm only a journalist now, I shouldn't be doing this, but loads of journalists were ill and loads of journalists have struggled to recover post-World Cup. So God knows what it's like for players. Um, yeah, every tournament is getting bigger. You know, Champions League, they're adding games to it. The World Club Championship, are adding games to it. The Euros have added games to it. The African Cup of Nations have added games to you know, players will break down. Um, journalists will break down. Nobody cares about that, but people will break down. But also, 104 games, yeah. I, I find 64 games is just beyond my capacity. I can, I'm very enthusiastic at the beginning of the groups. Towards the end of the groups, my enthusiasm wanes a bit, apart from those games that, that you know, actually mean something. And of course, the problem is there are going to be far fewer of them because of the games that mean something. Because if you win your first two games, you're through. There's far less jeopardy for teams. Um, so I I hate the format. And, and I, just, I think at some point you've got to stop expanding. You've got to say, look, no. I'm sorry, it's, it's not for everybody. Some teams will not qualify. Uh, and there has to be an, an element that this is the elite. Now, you may want to rejig qualifying slightly and maybe you make... You, you create more intercontinental playoffs. Maybe that's a way to sort of open it up so you get more African or Asian or, or CONCACAF teams there that, that you don't have half the Commonwealth teams naturally getting through. Maybe the scope to, 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 to tweak that. But just make it bigger. 
Yeah, I'm somebody who loves football, who makes money. The more football there is, the more money I make because I you know, get paid to watch it and to write about it and think about it. And I'm approaching this with a sense of exhaustion. I, I think a, a lot of a lot of. I mean, okay, there will there are keen fans who will watch everything, but there's going to be a lot of fans who find, as with the cricket World Cup, that their enthusiasm sort of sags a bit in the middle. And I think you know there'll be a lot of people who end up rather than trying to watch every game. Just sort of think, oh, yeah, you know, I'll catch up with that later, just because I don't have the, the bandwidth for this. Yeah. So, but it, but my actually my, my my bigger problem is the eight best third place teams going through. I, I just think that that takes away a huge element of the jeopardy. Um, and, you know, it's also just the the absurdity of the you know, the, the, the the blatantness with which Infantino says one thing one day and another thing the next. It's and it's all such obvious nonsense. That, oh, Qatar was the greatest World Cup ever, but we're going to rip up that format and do something completely different. Well, if it was the greatest World Cup ever, just do the same thing again, rather than making it bigger, diluting it, bloating it, and just leaving everybody shattered. Jonathan. Um, so, yeah, not looking forward to it. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. You were great with your time. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Some people take the straight path in life. But at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Visit us at asuonline.asu.edu to learn more.